everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. Another one of your ACC buddies on today, Bronco, head coach of the NC State Wolfpack, Dave Doran. Dave, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we'll accept, we wanted to have you on for, for, for a variety of reasons, but uh, I did want to say that uh, you got a number of for, former uh, connections there uh, with, with Broncos' old Virginia staff. You got his quarterback, you got his old AC, Robert and I, you, you got uh, Ruffin McNeil on there on staff. How was camp and, and, and how are some of those uh, Virginia folks uh, settling in there in Raleigh? Yeah, and we have uh, Garrett 2J here as well as former O-line coach. So, yeah, a lot of connections. Um, you know, we're in the last really day of camp here, so – three weeks in two weeks from the kick we play on thursday night in two weeks so we kind of tweaked our fall camp schedule to, to mimic that with thursdays being our scrimmage day and um yeah it's gone good you know if we come out of today healthy that's always kind of the biggest concern as a head coach is the magic line of you know enough contact enough tackling enough attempts to play contact football get your guys ready but at the same time you need your guys healthy, you know, and so there's always that fine line. Um, we had Dick Vermeil in here uh, during our training camp, which was pretty awesome. And uh, I asked Dick, how do you, how did he deal with worry? Because that's always been a hard thing for me, the worry that you have as a head coach when it comes to your players and their, their health. And he said, I had to train myself to worry more about what they needed to be ready to win. And I thought that was really good advice. Mm. When, uh, when you think about camp now, maybe as to how it used to be, and so three weeks in, um, and the, with double days that used to happen, and man, and spring practice the way it used to be, uh, as, I don't know, what are you finding, I think, that maybe would accelerate and have your team ready, uh, maybe with even as limited as some of the days are, or do you still feel like it's enough and long enough to be ready, knowing that you're still two weeks out? Well, you know, <laughs> I think we have to trick ourselves into thinking that we get them ready now, you know. Uh, obviously, for those of us that went through what it used to be like, we know there was a lot more to it. And the thing I always tell the, the staff and the players, you know, I, I feel like in practice there's always moments where guys make a play that just springboard their confidence level. Mm. And, you know, even in a practice, you know how it is at the end of practice, Bronco, you're, should we get another rep? Should I call it? Should I let it continue, you know? and there's t days where I'll let it continue and you see a guy like make a diving play and like, damn, thank God I let that play happen, you know, because yep. I was about to blow it dead. And, <clears throat> you know, flip side of that is you could have an injury. And, you know, so you're always in that kind of place as a head coach is enough. When is enough enough? And yep. I, I don't know if you ever know, to be honest, like you, I think you do the best you can. Uh, you obviously used to have better opportunities to prepare them, I think. Um we practice less and have more injury now than ever uh, at the NFL uh, level, college level. So it's interesting, you know, where we're at with all this. It is. And, and as you mentioned, when to when to blow it dead and when not to the value of a single player on any given team uh, and the impact that can have on a season. Wow. Is that is, was that always prevalent on, on my mind and and the intuition that a head coach has right there's there's the expertise and there's the data and there's the facts. And then there's just the feeling. Yeah. And I'm sure you're doing trying to gauge all that when you're deciding. hundred percent. You know, I, 
<laughs> tell the staff this, like, I think that's the magic of coaching. Like you got to know when to pull back and when to push. Um, you got to have that gauge and you got to have some players that help you too. You know, that'll come to you and give you a little feedback. When, uh, so what avenues do you use that way? Because uh, again, the, the world of coaching and communication with players is, is also a masterful art, I think. And, the, the, authority, the authoritarian way only where there has to certainly be enough of who's in charge and when and how, uh, but for a player to earn a head coach's trust for, for the head coach to actually listen or solicit that feedback, kind of what does that look like for you and how do you design that? Yeah, it's always kind of uh, organic with me. It's, there's a couple guys each mm -hmm. year that you know are just not going to BS you. And, yeah. you know, once you identify them, it's not a all the time conversation. It's when you need it. And yeah. I'll bring them in and say, I need absolutely to know exactly where the guys are at. So don't, I'm not going to get mad. Give me the truth. And that's how I do it. But, um, it's an amazing thing to have someone in your organization uh, that has earned your trust, but you also know when given the chance, they'll speak truth to power. Yeah. And, and I, and so I think just the way that you're framing that, Number one, that you're calling them in. They know that's uh, probably a big deal. But then that you're asking really just point blank and bluntly for their feedback. Um, my guess is that would empower them also um, help build their confidence as well and and, and kind of give them ownership as well of the team. You know, the, the head coach is asking for their opinion. That now gives them an ownership level that's maybe even deeper than it was before you asked them. Yeah, and I think, you know, I always <laughs> – you worry that they're going to start asking for too many things, right? right. You do that. And so there has to be that as well. And that happened a couple of years ago. And, you know, I had to make it clear, like, Hey, the fact that I'm giving you input doesn't mean that you have the right to ask for whatever you want. Like yeah. there's going to be certain times where we need to push harder, you know, to, to get some mental toughness involved in this. And, and so that give and take, I think is important. There's definitely a, an earned trust thing on both sides there. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and if, if not managed correctly, just kind of kind of, as you mentioned, it can slide toward entitlement yeah. um, pretty fast. Uh, and again, that that's with grownups besides young people. 100 percent. Yeah, we had. Uh, have you ever listened to Brian Kite? Do you guys follow him at all? I haven't. Uh -uh. Yeah, it's K-I-G-H-T. Um, mm -hmm. He's a motivational guy, but he's a, a business entrepreneur as well. But he speaks to a few teams a year. He's the one that was a part of the E plus R equals O equation back in the day. Uh, his dad was a part of that, hmm. but he has something he calls the entitlement scale. And yep. uh, so that when you're looking at, you know, where are you on that? Where, when you recruit, cause we try to, that's, that's a red flag to us. Like that's part of yeah. what we look for. We want guys that are not entitled that are going to look for hard work and enrichment. And, and so the entitlement scale is something we actually discuss with our players, our freshmen, when I recruit, I talk to, to parents about it. And yeah, I mean, I, one of the biggest plagues in the, in the world, probably. I, I think that's right. As, as the selection and assessment of your players, I remember one time we were at the ACC meetings, if I remember correctly. And, and, you know, there's a chance to visit briefly with each coach if you, and, and you don't have a ton of time, but I remember at one point I asked you how things were going and, I think I think the number was is you had had 37 interviews with staff changes. That wasn't just coaches. That was just within the organization. And I I was startled by that. And that number has stuck with me because of the consistency 
uh, and success regardless of changes, which is part of college football. And so uh, to kind of continue on the same line of the entitlement scale, uh, because certainly you've chosen wisely and certainly more good ones than, than bad ones. It's, it's always difficult to get it hundred percent right. But wondering as you're looking at staff, knowing that some of my staff, my former staff is there, how has that process been for you and what advice and, and counsel and, and processes uh, orientation would you give to others that are trying to manage that kind of number, those kind of number changes, knowing that's kind of part of the landscape now? Yeah, I think um, I learned through failure in this as well. Yeah. You know, you, you have to interview people, even though you get recommendations, um, you have to get to know them. You have to talk to people you trust. If you haven't worked with the, the person involved, um, it's really hard in a one day or a two day interview, in my yeah. opinion, to really know somebody. So I think coaches get lazy um, in who mm. they hire. Mm. They take a buddy's opinion or you know, somebody maybe that's not a buddy that carries a lot of maybe stick in the profession. Yeah. And um, so I don't know. I've tried to coming off years where I failed and, and had to replace guys really. I'll bring three to five candidates in. I'll, I'll get various staff involved. Um, we'll interview them. I'll get people's opinions. I'll call references that are on their list and references that aren't. Yeah. And um, because sometimes those are the ones you need to talk to the most. But uh, yeah, you know how it is, man. You work your butt off in this job. And if you come to work with someone that's dead weight or they're negative, it's, it's really hard. I mean, they just spread major, major problems in the organization. And so I try hard really hard to not allow that to happen and firing someone's not fun, you know? So if you can prevent that by doing a good job in the front end, it helps. Yeah. The, the back end management really motivates the front end selection uh, and anyone that's been in the seat long enough. Um, those, those exit, inter those exit conversations that I've had, I still remember them and, yeah. and knowing right that ultimately, uh, and a lot of times I use the words, uh, to the can't or to the the person I was working with, I'm sorry, you've chosen to leave. And a lot of times people want to frame it like I was fired or the head coach fired me. I kind of viewed it the other way where there was these expectations and they were presented and and where you were in terms of feedback was given multiple times along the way. And the adjustments weren't made. Uh, and that really wasn't my choice. That was um, that individual's choice. And so the thought that um, there's a victim mentality as well, that usually would contribute to why they're leaving anyway, right? And so those are those are challenges, um, players and coaches. Yeah, um, tough, man. I think the hardest thing you do as a head coach is, you know, kick a player off your team or fire a staff member. I mean, those two things yeah. are terrible. That They are, and um, so I'm wondering now with, uh, um, with the portal, um, are you approaching that similar in terms of the vetting of players that might be coming from another program? And, and what's that been like for you? Yeah, I think a lot of times I end up being the bad guy now. You know, it's uh, yeah. the assistant coaches, as you know, want really good players in their rooms. They want to coach talented guys, and, and I want them to have that. But, you know, I'm the one that consistently has to remind them about their – their grades or their character or, Hey, did we call the high school coach? Do we, have we talked to the coaches on the staff? Yeah. You know, even the strength coach, Hey, call the strength coach about this guy. Um, we've gotten all the way to where kids come on campus on visits and I'll tell the staff, I'm not taking them. Sorry. Yeah. Like that. I didn't like the guy around our players and yeah. 
or maybe a player told me, coach, this is not going to work, you know, but I'm looking for reasons to say no, as much as they're trying to find ways to say yes. Um, because, you know, particularly with the transfer, they can really screw up your team. I mean, they got a short clock, yep. you know, and, and they left wherever they were at because something wasn't good and they're not coming to your place to be last on the depth chart, you know, or, or, if they were first and I'd be second, you know, so you have to know if they were a backup there and you recruited them in high school and they just want a fresh start and they're willing to compete, that's a different transfer than, you know, the fifth year that's got one year left and he was an all American at a one double a school. And now he's coming to your place. Like you better know what you're doing. And so we really try hard. I mean, I don't build our team with transfers. We're, we're kind of a, we're using that as another way to use junior college recruiting, I guess is the way to say it. But, yeah, we, we have to be very diligent to not screw up our culture with the, the additions. Uh, yeah, I think being mindful and, and being a guardian of that and, and ultimately who is the gatekeeper other than yourself. And, and you would love it to be the assistants. And I think many try and you'd love it to be the coordinators. And I think many try and you'd love it to be the personnel director and many try. However, it just seems like the more time they invest in a relationship, the farther they drive, the more time or the more visits they've made the more biased they become. And and the head coach ultimately owns it all. And so remaining objective and also no sometimes is is the most productive word in accelerating your program and being willing and, and looking for ways to say it. I really like the way you frame that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, these guys, as you know, and not that we're not competitive, but the more time you put into a kid, the harder it is to not want to win the battle, you know, and as a head coach, not that we don't recruit them, but we don't get to recruit them the same way. So it's easier for us to be the bad guy, I think. Uh, yeah. And it does hurt some feelings every now and then. But like I tell the guys, I'd much rather say no to him now than after he's here and we lose that spot. Yeah. Well, and as you as you think about the 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 reason they're transferring, which which ultimately there is a reason, and and getting to the truth of that reason, uh, not the superficial what sounds good. <laughs> but the truth, and most of the time, if that clock is shorter, like you're saying, maybe a fifth year or, or someone with, with reduced eligibility, um, that motive is more about them, right? Very few are motivating just to join your team, right? Yeah. To get in part part of your culture or, or quite frankly, to play for you as the head coach. And so they're, they're looking for opportunity. And so many times I, I hear assistant coaches and even head coaches I don't know, um, wondering why a young person is moving from one place to another. And usually I say, well, have you been an assistant coach before? Have you ever left one job for another? And I would say, you know, how come? And it was almost always is a better opportunity. That's what they would say. And I'd ask them to define that. What do you mean better opportunity? And that usually meant a higher level or more money. <laughs> that's that's what it meant. Or more responsibility, right? right. Kind of that, yeah. in that thing. As a head coach, um, I've left a program for another program. And it usually was right? For a better opportunity. And if you really pull on that, that's, you know, more responsibility or a higher level or more responsibility or et cetera, and, or, or prestige. I think players are doing the exact same thing. And, and uh, man, not to accept just those answers, but, but, but knowing that's part of it, but is there anything else, right? <laughs> I, I, if you can find whatever else it is, that, that kind of gives a clue somewhere as well, if there is anything else. Yeah, the landscape, as you know, has changed a lot because of NIL. So, you know, 
why kids are leaving has now got a, a level of greed that it didn't used to have. So, yeah, it's completely changed the dynamic, you know, when you start recruiting a guy because the phone goes dark pretty quick for a lot of us. <laughs> when um, to preserve your culture and now knowing NIL is part of it and, and now living in that world, what influence have you seen or have you seen NIL's impact? And, and what are you having to do to kind of protect your culture, knowing now the finances are are somehow tied into that? at least in, in the selection process. Yeah. Well, I mean, you become a major fundraiser as a coach. That's the one thing that happens, which mm. completely sucks, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's not what I like doing, but I've never spent more of my bandwidth on anything than that in the last year. Uh, it's changed my life in a bad way. Mm. With the players, it's, you know, there's been some really awesome things that have happened. Guys that are now able to help their families and get their parents here for games and provide for siblings for things they couldn't have in the past. And, you know, so that's been cool to see. Uh, you also see the guys that maybe didn't need the money that are buying expensive cars and you worry about them. You know, there, there's been more conversations, you know, when this first started, I, I had two or three real heart to hearts with the players, just about how I've seen greed screw up, you know, coaches, yep. you know, uh, co coaching staff chemistry, Guys, you know, comparisons, the thief of all joy, talking about that. Like now that you're in the world you said you wanted, here's yeah. what comes with it. You're, you're not going to always have apples to apples, you know, and it's not going to be fair all the time. You, you might be a better player and have better stats than a guy at another school that you know that's getting more than you. And that's just life. You're going to have to understand that it's not going to always be fair or feel good. If you want more, play better, you know, and that's kind of the way that I've discussed it with the guys. Uh, it's no different than how the NFL used to be. You know, the NFL used to have veteran players making less money than incoming draft picks and free agents until they changed, you know, how they did their their union. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of where we're at because we don't have a union. We don't have a salary cap. We don't have anything. So these, it's just, you know, guys get what they get and it's what they wanted. So they have to accept what comes with it. Yeah. When you when you consider your role as fundraiser now and and that being one other thing that really didn't have to be a major part of um, our jobs before. Um, right. That comes at a cost because there is only so much time and each minute's fundraising is then, quite frankly, it's a trade off that's taking away from something else. How do you think that's that will or is it affecting, I don't know, your sustainability to do the other parts of your job that you really enjoy? And 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 how is that balance working? If I could even use the word balance. You know, I, I came out of the summer. Uh, maybe as least reset as I've ever been. Uh, yeah. I, and I met with all our collectives at the end. I, we raised a ton of money and I, I went on a rampage to go get money after spring ball ended for six weeks and help these guys. And, and uh, when it ended, I said, look, find a new way to do this. Cause I'm not doing this next year. Yeah. So I did everything I could do. Yep. I said, but my family deserves more of me. Uh, my team deserves more of me. And my bandwidth that I gave up is not going to be given up ever again this way. So yep. I asked them to redesign the model. Uh, Cause really they made me like, the mouth of it for everything. And, and the head coach has to be a part of it for it to work. Yeah. But, you know, the Wolfpack Club, who's our, you know, our fundraising arm of the University for Athletics, they, they involve me only when it fits in my calendar. And, you know, you know how it is. You go out, 
seven or eight events a year and you, you get up and talk and that's it. Right. And then if there's someone that wants to pay for the indoor, you go have dinner with them. Like, it's not that much. Right. This was on the phone every day or, you know, in an email every day or in a text every day or at an event or a fishing trip or a golf tournament. Like it was, it just didn't stop. And so, you know, it was great from a result standpoint. It was terrible uh, for me. And so, you know, it's a live and learn thing. It's the first time in my 30 year career I've had to do it. I'll be better next year because of it. I'll know what I can say no to now and what I can't. Well, and, and I think that part's so powerful in any effective leader, right? Uh, establishing boundaries, setting boundaries, but then consistently enforcing the boundaries. And sometimes yeah. you don't know, right, until you've been through the experience. And yeah. as much as you can predict, it's hard to be right. And so now that you've seen it, I just I love the, the clarity of of explaining and giving them a chance to find another way. You're not you didn't say I'm not interested. I'm not going to participate. It was find another way which is a better way to do this yeah they understood i mean you know these guys want me to coach you know and so they're just it's a brand new thing and you know what's crazy about this nil stuff is the guys in these collectives they're not professionals either like they're they're businessmen they got their own companies their own lives they're doing this out of the generosity of their hearts you know and so we're all trying to do something for the players and uh yeah i mean it's crazy right now it really is. I'm thankful here. It's starting to get more organized and efficient. Yeah. When, um, as, as you see the landscape uh, or just other things changing in college football that maybe are affecting you day to day, the easy ones, and we've already mentioned both of them, which is the NIL and the transfer portal. Um, I, I'm sure it, well, it's hard to ignore any alignment or realignment that's happening. What other things that, I don't know, are affecting you maybe, uh, in your day-to-day that maybe weren't before um or are or is that enough <laughs> that's because those are a lot that's a lot yeah you know the realignment just our league is kind of on the lockdown you know so it's it's watching it you know it's it's good conversation in the locker room for the coaches to talk about and what's going to happen but for us there was never really any fear yeah. nobody can afford to get out of this grant of rights that we have and yeah. even though florida state you know postured to be angry about it. They're, then we're going to have the money to do it. And uh, nobody wants to not be on TV for 10 years, which is what happens if you leave our league, you give up your right to be on television. Like nobody's going to do that. So uh, we all wish Notre Dame would be the answer and, you know, come in with Stanford or something like that. But, you know, I don't think this league's going to add anybody unless they can get them to be a part of that addition, which makes sense. Um, you know, I've really been watching the Northwestern thing, Bronco, like Pat yes. Fitzgerald's been a friend of mine for a long time. And so, you know, I feel for him and, and you know, watching that one closely, just being a, a Midwest guy, grew up, you know, uh, in Kansas City, coached in Illinois and in the Big Ten at Wisconsin. And I've known Pat since I was at Montana and he was at Idaho. So, you know, it's a tough situation. It, it is. And it's a it's a reminder of. Gosh, um, the constant state of readiness as a head coach and what you're responsible for and how quickly, um, yeah, something that that really, uh, I wish I knew everything that happened in my programs that I ran. I really do. I I wish I knew everything, Uh, but I know that I didn't. And wow, do you hope um, the things that you didn't know or somehow the things that, that were off track if they did happen that you did and and 
it, it happens so quickly and the quality of people um, there, there's no one. I sat next to Pat Fitzgerald on the board of uh, AFCA board forever and right. visited the program. And one, one of my colleagues basically said, uh, if it could happen to Pat Fitzgerald, it can happen to anyone, meaning because he was so vigilant. And and so, yeah, um, I, I, I see that. And just the the the, um, the certainty that it can happen and the uncertainty of how it's going to happen. Right. That's what keeps us all up at night because we're responsible for the entire program. And, and any it, you never know, quite know where where that might manifest. Yeah. I mean, this guy's been there 26 years. He bleeds that school, you know, um, his blood's definitely in the bricks of that school. And so great reminder, I guess, you know, at the same time, just, I don't know how many players has he coached in that period of time, you know, that five or six guys can come out and knock the entire deck of cards down. It's, it's tough, you know, and, seeing the decisions that were made there and the timeline they were made was hard. You know, I think they would have given him a little bit more time suspended to really find out what happened before they pulled the plug, but it's tough. Yeah. And, and the, the pressures that mount on leaders that actually, in my opinion, I'm not sure how it was for you, but sometimes if, a, if there was a, a, an accusation of player misconduct in a program I was running, the easy thing to do was to act quickly, suspend and jump to a conclusion and eliminate from them from the program. Like everyone wanted a clean, fast solution. But but quite frankly, I was more interested in, do we know for sure what happened? Yeah. How long is it going to take? And and much more of the innocent until proven guilty rather than uh, get the news uh, and the headlines off by that we've acted fast and but maybe we didn't act um, accurately or fairly. And that's kind of self-preservation. And so sometimes to your point, waiting longer, even though there's heat happening and, and, and challenge to, to make sure you're accurate. Um, I, I see huge value in that amidst the, uh, the criticism, you know, just to make sure you get it right. Yeah, it's like instant replay, right? Like everyone gets mad when that takes them three and a half minutes instead of three minutes. Like, don't we just want them to get it right? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, like he was suspended without pay, yeah. you know, leave him in that position until you know what the truth is, you know, and yeah. you had a third party come in and do their homework. And if you need another third party, then bring in another third party, you know, but like to me, uh, the same thing, you know, I've had players that have had off the field things and you need to know exactly what happened before you make a life-changing decision for anyone when you're in a position of, of power or executive position, in my opinion. And there is going to be, you know, backlash publicly if you don't, I guess, but that backlash will exist if you do it wrong as well. So, you know, I guess same thing when you go to offering a kid, I'd rather be late and right and then early and wrong, you know. And, and quite frankly, the early um, in today's world, many of the early offers aren't real anyway. You know, um, there's this, this idea that there's an offer. And many times I would ask the family, just ask them if you can take it. Ask them if you can commit today and just see if it's real. And, and they would just say, what do you mean? I just said, ask them if you could commit today and just see how they would respond. And that, and that would tell them if that offer is real. And it's just, it's, it's, Kind of an indictment against us the the early and right 
where basically people are being early with no risk because they never intended to honor it anyway. That's yeah. just to buy them time. Yeah, recruiting's a mess. I mean, it is right now. It's, <laughs> you know, and for us, I just, you know, try to boil it back to, you know, is this guy going to be a good part of our team? Yep. Does he fit the culture? Does he make us better? Are we going to enjoy being around him? Like, just get back to what's important, you know, and yeah. it's kind of, well, you have to recenter your staff at times with what we're dealing with. Well, and, and because of the external environment, right, um, each program and each leader, you almost have to create your own oasis um, amidst it all. You acknowledge the forces and here's the wind blowing this way and here's the lightning coming that way and here's the waves coming. But but part of our job and part of each head coach's job is to see all that. But at least in your little section of the harbor or the port, right, there, there can be a true north and there can be balance and there can be principles that you operate on and and uh, I think many head coaches just get tired of enforcing those. But yet that really is the main reason most of us started anyway. And and once you drift from those, if you do, you, you kind of lose your soul along the way and then become part of the problem rather than, you know, one of the maybe the icons of solutions. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. You know, there's so much negativity now that it can t completely uh, engulf your day. You know, you have to. You have to create ways, you know, to get that negative stuff out of your, your system, I think, and your staff <clears throat> constantly, constantly talking about it and putting people in your building that kind of can dog watch that for you, too. You know, Ruffin is great for that for me. He's awesome. Because when I get tied up with what I have to do, I mean, he, he understands what I want. And so having that person, um, and if you can get multiple, it helps. But that, you know, just remind people to quit bitching and let's get better, you know, yeah. let's go do our job. The, um, as you, as you see the sources of negativity, um, how much of that would you trace? Um, if, if you could put a percentage or maybe even not, that's not might even be the fair or the best way to say it, um, to the social media or just the continuous coverage. Um, yeah. In addition to other ways that's coming in, how much of it do you think is, is coming? I don't know, because of the increased, visibility through that i would say a lot of it is you know that constant stream of information that people now are addicted to um you know if you just got up and went to work and never looked at anything other than the job you had to do you probably wouldn't have to deal with a whole lot mm -hmm. uh we just don't live in that world anymore it's hard to unplug you know it is and you know everybody's communicating through these devices now and and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of that. And my wife tells me all the time, like, you would be so much happier if you quit looking at Twitter, you know. And so <laughs> yeah. I, I try to, you know, I try to do that. Like, unless it's recruiting based, once we hit the season, I try not to read anything on there. Yeah. Well, and it's great advice, uh, but hard to follow. As you said, it's hard to unplug. And you'd like to stay current and abreast of everything that's happening and the information that can either help your program or that you need to be aware of with something that might be going on. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, Ruffin McNeil and uh, um, wow, was I uh, lucky enough to have Ruffin on our staff for a year. Just having him in the building, another head coach, former head coach with about every type of life experience you can manage or have with the ability to relate to all types of people and to have another set of eyes and ears while you're being the head coach um, to help with that, 
I, I found uh, I was comforted by it, quite frankly. I've been trying to think of the word. I was lucky, but I was comforted by that to yeah. just have another voice to be able to one-on-one -on -one talk with at times. And besides your besides your wife, I'm wondering who else, or if anyone, kind of becomes uh, your voice of reason, you know, when you're looking for that in from your position. Yeah, well, Ruff and I spent a lot of time together, and you know, I've known him since I was 25, so he's not just uh you know a head coach sitting in there he's a mentor for me so it's great to be able to go in there and talk and laugh and also you know challenge each other on some things like what do you think about this and yeah <clears throat> but yeah my my uh director of ops uh, adam clark is a phenomenal guy too so you know he's got a good pulse of our building and our strength coach has a great pulse of our team so there's different people you know for different pieces of information that you go to my trainer is awesome i've been fortunate to keep him for eight years so sometimes those guys you know he's had a lot of opportunities to leave and have stayed yeah. so the you know the, the longevity that you have with people helps too because you know we've been through a lot so those shared experiences now make those conversations even more valuable you know um you, so you understand you never, what i'm talking about it's it's uh it's fun to listen to you basically in organizational design right every every process needs an owner and the areas you're just talking about are all processes and when you have the right owner over a process yeah wow does that ever just keep the flywheel spinning faster and and just basically eliminate the number of crises there will be crises really and a lot of them but when you have the right owner of an area whether it's the director of football operations or whether it's the trainer or whether it's a strength coach, when they're capable people, really good at what they do, and they're great people that you love, admire, and respect and can talk to, um, and you know they have it, um, meaning whatever's happening, they have it. And then on the rare occasion they come to you, you know, wait, there's something that's that's pretty significant that yeah. they would like your help with. And when you're with them long enough, as you said, and eight years is in today's world is a long time. That's that's a great situation to have developed and to have built. Yeah, I'm fortunate uh, not only to be at a school 11 years now, but to have, you know, certain people. My strength coach has been here the whole time, mm -hmm. trainer for eight. Um, you know, and so I've hired everyone here, right? You know, so everybody in this building is drinking the Kool-Aid. And, and so it's nice to not have to push back, you know, how hard that is yeah. when you get to a place and, everybody's this is how we used to do it coach like i don't hear that here i don't have to listen to that comment which you know when you first take over a school is like the one that you just want to kill people about uh <laughs> it's how we used to do it well that's why you fired the guy right like we're going to change so it took me a while you know to kind of vet and get people out or move people along and now to have people that you know trust what we're doing and and uh it helps helps a ton and we're way more efficient because of that well, and, and the one word you just mentioned, which is, is as we finish up here, is time. And head coaches really don't have time. And they aren't hired under a long-term time frame now. And yeah. the, the way that I see it is really in your first year, uh, if you've been hired, um, there's, a, a, there's a pretty significant grace period as you change uh, um, and work to change a program. Year two, um, there better start to be significant markers that are being hit. And if that doesn't happen by early in year three, not at the end of year three, but maybe even by the, the first third of the season mark, if there doesn't seem to be 
and yeah. at ignition and blast off, there's most likely going to be a change, which is so back to your point of time, there just doesn't seem to be much. And, and that can really, if the leader isn't really clear on what destination they want to end up and how compromises can be made along the way um, at the excuse of time. And that actually makes it worse, not better to, to have a best chance to accomplish what you're trying to. Yeah, it's a short leash these days for sure. I feel for the coaches that are trying to flip a program, you know, and, and the amount of time they've been given and some of the fan bases that have become lynch mobs, you know, for some of these places, it's it's hard. I mean, it's you got to really know what you're going into as a head coach. You better understand the clientele and the whole thing. It's a lot different than it was when I got here or when you went to UVA. You yeah. Know? Well, and that's one of the reasons for the podcast. And so the insights you've shared and just quite frankly, the matter of fact, truthful and an honest way, I think anyone that's considering the profession, right? It, it's hard to yeah. it, it's hard to present what it really is and and really what we're accomplishing and what we're what we worked on today is just to pull back the curtain a little more. Um, so someone can choose and it's alluring with the with the title and it's alluring with the fame and it's alluring with the prestige and it's alluring with the money. But none of those are the reason that you'll be skilled at the job or, quite frankly, make a lasting impact. And so maybe you could just maybe close with with the reasons that you you love doing what you're doing or the best parts of maybe the profession or the things that you look forward to um, uh, on a daily basis that. Um, yeah, they still enjoy. Well, you know, I love the camaraderie of the sport, um, the brotherhood of it. I, I love the comp the competitive piece of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I chose the profession because I love helping people get better and, you know, being a part of that journey where you see a young person become full circle, uh, and knowing that you were a part of directing that change. And at some point in time, maybe getting, those words said to you, like, Hey, I wouldn't have done this without you. Like that yeah. drives me. Like it's the wins are great. You know, the emotional things that happen in the locker room after big wins are you'll, you'll always have that, but the personal change that you can create and empower people with, uh, for their the rest of their lives, you know, when your players of 20 years ago are, are sending you funny pictures and can't wait to come to a game this year, coach, you know, like stuff like that. That's why I coach, you know? And, and to me, that's, the juice, you know, because there's a lot of bad stuff with this job now. It's not what it used to be. You don't get to coach football when you're a head coach a whole lot, you know, And but you still get to empower and, and change people and create chemistry and help young people grow. So that's, you know, to me what the, the best part of the job is. As you know, the, the money can help, but none of us chose this because of money. Um, I chose it to be a high school coach. It just happened that I got lucky and got into college, but you know, the money now is so much different than it used to be. So I think that's still kind of like, wow, really? You're going to pay us this amount to do this, you know, and which now we completely earn, in my opinion, with what's going on in the profession. Yeah. But it's uh, it's not the motivating factor when you get into it. If it is for somebody, they, they need to probably find something else. You know, this is not a job where you come to work because you want to make a lot of money. It's There's very few people in coaching that actually make a lot of money. Yeah. Really well said. And I know with uh, with the final scrimmage today and, and kind of transitioning from camp then into, yeah, the two weeks away from kicking kicking off, 
Yeah. Uh, it's an exciting and challenging time, but that you would take time to visit with us. I really appreciate it, Dave, and, and wish you and your team all the best. And I'm, uh, it's fun to, I don't know, it's fun for me to, to have worked with coaches and, and had a, one of my quarterbacks that's there. And, you know, it's kind of like when, when someone, and I don't think family member is too strong a term, um, yeah. But when when a family member or someone you really cares about, when they choose to do something else, you really hope that they end up at a place and with people that will continue their passion um, and they'll find fulfillment and that will they have their best chance to succeed. And and so when I think of my guys, former guys, um, that's that makes me smile. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited for you, the staff, the team, and wish you all the best. And just, again, thanks for taking time with us. Oh, you bet. It's good to see you, Bronco, and thanks for the opportunity. And I appreciate, you know, um, all the things that you're doing. I mean, I know you want to be coaching right now, and uh, I'm sure that's not far off for you. If you ever get the itch and want to come out and visit, you know you're welcome here. Th thank you very much. Brian, we'll, we'll pass it back to you to, to close us out. Well, absolutely. And a, and a great conversation and uh, certainly appreciate you jumping on in, in the middle of a, a busy fall camp for you, Dave. And uh, I, I will just mention that you, know, you, you were 2-0 and against Bronco uh, there, there at uh, NC State. You had to remind me. I, I, I knew I, I, that's I, you knew, embedded, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming that uh, that record would, would come up. I, I just wanted to ask, what, what was the biggest difficulty in, in preparing for, for some of those Broncos teams that uh, at UVA there? Uh, you know, I think – one of the reasons I hired Coach and I, like the, the crap he does on offense, man, is uh, <laughs> totally. every day just watching it at practice right now, it just blows me away how much creativity and flexibility his system has within it and how easy it is for the players to just bounce from one thing to another. Like it's mind-blowing because some of the other offensive coaches I've had, even though they're incredible, they were very locked into what they did. Like they weren't going to drift other than putting in a trick play here or there. Like they, this is our system, you know, and it's crazy all the things he can do. So, you know, getting ready for all that um, in a three to four day prep is always hard. And that's one of the things I love uh, about our defense with Tony Gibson. Like we're a hard prep for offenses and now we're a hard prep for defenses. So Broncos teams were always well coached. They were fundamentally sound, and, and they were hard to get ready for schematically. Well, and that's uh, that's the same now for, for you guys, and uh, a big season ahead there for the Wolfpack. Dave Doran, the head coach there at NC State. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, joining us here on Head Coach. You we'll catch you all again next week.